All right, you ready to get to work? Let's go. Acts chapter 2. We're going to get back after it this morning. Uh, we're looking at our vision series and building a framework for our faith family here at Berean. And uh, we're going to continue to build on that as we look back at Acts 2. I'm going to apologize in advance. I, any of you had any sinus issues this week? Am I the only one? Oh my goodness, like my head has been in a bubble all week long. I've lost my voice. I'm just now getting it back. Front row, I apologize for anything that comes out of my nose this morning. So um, just feel free to keep it, right? I know you wanted that image, didn't you? Uh, but do pray for me. The Lord's been gracious to allow my voice to, to stay strong. And so um, Acts chapter 2, so encouraged with where we're at as a faith family. Isn't God good? I just, man, every time I'm with you people, I find myself just saying, God, what a gift of grace uh, to see what you're doing and to have a vision to know what matters here. And um, we're not a perfect church, but we know who we are and we know what we're going after. And that vision series, this vision series has really been to help communicate that to you of what our purpose is and how we're going to go about that. And then in the months to come, we'll, we'll talk about even more specifics and strategies, uh, events, programs that will help fulfill that, but we got to get the framework right. So let's continue our look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and following. A people where the gospel was transforming lives, how did that continue? So if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Luke writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Please pray with me. God, we need you desperately this morning to come and teach us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work in our lives as we unpack this text. We need our hearts exposed. So do that work, that supernatural work in each one that's here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. $13 wouldn't seem like a lot to most of us, but to Charles it meant everything. Charles was a missionary that had been called to serve the poorest of the poor in Haiti. Uh, in fact, he, he served a very small congregation and uh, shared a story one time about how the congregation was having a Thanksgiving festival, a Thanksgiving celebration. And Charles had challenged the people to bring a sacrificial gift, a sacrificial offering uh, for the mission that God had called them to. And so that Thanksgiving service came, and it was over, and Charles and some others were kind of in the back afterwards counting uh, what came through in the sacrificial 
time, and they came across this envelope that had a name written on it, and the name was Edmund. And inside was $13. Charles couldn't believe it. He was absolutely stunned. And the reason he was stunned is because he knew Edmund. He knew Edmund was a very poor Haitian farmer who had very little money. It was everything he could do, hardly just to make it day to day. $13 for Edmund was the equivalent of three months' worth of income. Charles got up out of his seat and he took out to find Edmund. Couldn't find him anywhere. He finally caught up with him later that evening and he tried to push the conversation. Edmund didn't even want to talk. But Charles refused to take no for an answer and he kept saying, where did you come up with this money? You don't have $13. How did you get the money? Edmund kept refusing and finally he looked at Charles and he said, I sold my horse. You did what? You sold your horse? You see, Edmund's horse was the primary way he made an income. Without that, that horse, it was going to be very difficult for him to farm. He would have to do everything by himself, but he was willing to sacrifice that for the mission of God. So as Charles turned to go away, he looked back at Edmund and he said, I just have one more question for you. Why didn't you come to the Thanksgiving service and give your offering in person? And Edmund said, because I didn't have a shirt to wear. Man, I heard that story and I thought, imagine a man joyfully sacrificing his primary means of making an income for the mission of God, and he doesn't even have a shirt on his back. That's crazy. But it's exactly the kind of craziness you see in Acts 2. Luke describes in the verses that we just read a group of Christians who are sacrificing greatly. The gospel has cut their heart, verse 37. They heard this, they were cut to the heart. They heard about the good news of Jesus, crucified and resurrected. It cut their heart. The gospel was transforming their life. And then what did they dedicate themselves to? The gathering for worship. Growing in the Word of God, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and now we discover that they are sacrificially giving to the work of ministry. Now, right here, when I say the word giving, please don't think money. When I say giving, here's what I want you to think of. Your entire life on the altar of God. Every part of you, arms out raised, hands lifted up, here am I. Whatever you ask. In all different types of areas. When I, listen, when I read this text, 
I'll get you inside my mind. It's a scary place to be, so don't stay long. I read texts like this and I think, is this normal? You, do you do that? Like when you, is this like superhero, put this up on the top shelf Christianity to see people doing this way? Because this isn't normal. It's just not. It's not our natural tendency. And so here's the thought that God gave me as I was preparing this message. Um, is gathering for worship abnormal? No. Is growing in the Word of God abnormal? No. Then why would you think sacrificially living is? What? You, you mean often what I think is abnormal is actually what God calls normal? And I'm just going to tell you up front this morning, I don't know what this means for you. I'm not even going to tell you specifically what it means for you. Because then you would just have a checklist where you sit there and say, I did that, I did that, I'm super Christian. I just want you on the altar of God this morning saying, here am I. Because sacrificial living has everything to do with our fellowship together. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Did you see the definite article? I know you get really excited about the. Really? The fellowship. Woohoo! It's actually in the Greek text. No, no, come here, come here, come here. Luke doesn't say, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. What is the fellowship? Because that's a word we throw around a lot in Christian circles, isn't it? Now, for, for a lot of people, fellowship is just like having a cup of coffee with a Christian. You come to church and you talk a little bit and then you walk out to your car and you say, oh, it was awesome to be at church. It was such great fellowship. Now, I think most Christians and churches have come to the point of realizing that fellowship is deeper than that. In fact, what most churches have emphasized for the last several years, and we do that here at Berean as well, is we say fellowship is deep, meaningful relationships. So how many of you have ever heard this? You need to be in a small group so you can experience... This is the part where you participate, all right? <laughs> fellowship, right? Because fellowship is deep meaningful conversation where you bear your soul and you're known and you know others. And that's true, but is that what Luke's talking about here? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they bore their souls to one another. I don't think so. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they had deep, meaningful relationships. Why don't we let Luke define what he means by the fellowship. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What does that mean? Verse 45. 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Faith family right here. Luke does not define fellowship as a meaningful conversation with another Christian or even a deep, meaningful relationship. He defines fellowship as a sacrificial partnership for the mission of God. That fellowship is not just having important relationships, though that's true. Fellowship happens when we come together sacrificing ourselves for one another because we believe in something greater than ourselves. That's how Luke defines it here. And so let me summarize it this way. Here's my definition of Christian fellowship from this text. Here it is. Christian fellowship is a group of believers who because of their union with Christ sacrifice together for the mission of Christ. That's fellowship. Now in case you think I'm just kind of parachuting in and building a whole definition of fellowship just on one text, what is the Greek word for fellowship? In fact, if you know a Greek word, you probably know this Greek word. It's koinonia. Okay, say that with me. Koinonia. If you've never heard that word, now you know a Greek word. Throw it out at parties, right? <laughs> hey, you want some chips? Koinonia. Right? You know, whatever. What in the world does this word mean? Because we do. We even, you go to any church in America, walk in. They'll have a Bible study class, an ABF, or a Sunday school class called the Koinonia class. We have one here. And I'm not making fun of them. But we're going to find out this morning whether or not they really are Koinonia. How is that word used in the New Testament? Is it conversation or something more? I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to answer it for you by giving you a few verses, and I'm going to emphasize where the Greek word koinonia is in the verse. You ready? Anybody ready? All right, let's go. Romans 15, 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some koinonia, contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, right here. Does that sound like coffee with a Christian to you? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter eight, two through four. You can jot these down. Second Corinthians eight, two through four. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of koinonia, taking part in, which you could translate partnership, the relief of the saints. Does that sound like coffee with a Christian to you? 2 Corinthians 9.13 by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your koinonia 
contribution for them and others. Last one, Philippians 4.15. Philippians 4.15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership, koinonia, with me in giving and receiving except you only. Dear friends, it might, be, might do us well to stop taking a preacher's word for it. Or what your mom and dad told you about what fellowship is and get to the real biblical meaning of fellowship. You have not experienced Christian fellowship until it has cost you something. I don't care how many conversations you've had. I don't care how many Christians you know deep and intimately, and I'm all for that. God has wired you that way. Don't hear me speaking against it. I'm just saying if that's all you know, you don't know fellowship. Because the fellowship according to Acts 2 and the rest of the New Testament, koinonia, is a shared sacrifice together that costs you. Fellowship is when we don't live for ourselves, but we sacrifice ourselves for something bigger. Namely, right here, the care of other people and the mission of God, which aren't exclusive, by the way. One of the things I've learned about people in Minnesota is they like hockey. And I don't know why. <laughs> you bring strange things to my ears, right? What, I, I didn't grow up around hockey. We had real sports. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm going to get beat up after the service for that comment. But no, you, you like hockey here, and that's awesome. Some of you uh, really like hockey, and so... Whether you like it or not, you know the movie Miracle. It's an awesome movie, isn't it? And 1980, U.S. hockey team, woo win over the Soviets, big deal. No, it was a big deal. I wasn't being sarcastic there. And there's a really important scene in that movie where Coach Brooks realizes something. His players aren't all in. They don't understand team. And you'll remember the scene when after a game, he takes them back onto the ice and he makes them practice over and over and over and over again till they can't even walk. Because he's going to teach them something. That the name on the back of the uniform is not what you play for. Take a look. Everybody get on that line. Hey. Massachusetts. 
Who do you play for? Play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. He finally gets it. You don't understand team until you're willing to sacrifice yourself for something bigger than you. And you've never experienced Christian fellowship until you've done the exact same thing. Fellowship is sacrificing self for a partnership that is bigger than self. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. But Luke doesn't just show us what it means. He shows us how this fellowship gets expressed. Verse 44 again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together. Three things. Jot them down, please. Number one is their fellowship was a sacrifice of time. A sacrifice of time. Luke says that they were together, all of them, Every day. All of them. Every day. You think that caused a scene walking down the street, 3,000 people walking around together? Does this not seem a little bit excessive to you? I mean, I like you and all, but every day? And you're like, I couldn't listen to you every day. Like once a week is totally enough. The point is this. The early Christians put their schedule on the altar of God. But what about all the soccer practices I have? But what about all the extra overtime I want to work so that we can have a nicer vacation this year? But I have to play five rounds of golf a week, don't you understand? And I'm all for all those things I just listed, unless they're getting in the way of your participation with the people of God. And I don't even mean that as a legalistic thing, like you better be here five times next week. And we're going to keep a check on that. I told you, I don't know what this looks like for you. And I'm not going to tell you specifically what you should do. But what I do know this, the early church saw their life in Christ being fleshed out in their life with the body. They were all, every day, together. And you'd say, but you don't know what that would cost my busy schedule. Well, what I do know is no sacrifice, no fellowship. Here's the second thing. They not only sacrifice time, they sacrifice their resources. This is obvious in the text. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. To care for others, to fulfill the mission of God, these people are sacrificing their stuff. They're selling their horses. They're giving of their possessions in order to support the mission of God and to meet the needs of one another. Right here, myself included, 
No wonder so few people experience Christian fellowship. Because this is so abnormal in the human mind, though it is normal in the kingdom of God. One of the things that I, it just amazes me and it convicts me. Um, my mom has told me stories about my grandfather and how, who I knew well, um, that there were times in the churches that he pastored where they had to give my grandmother his paycheck because he would likely go out and cash it, go to a church member's home, and give it all away. Don't be getting any ideas, all right? Now, some of you are going to come up to me afterwards. Here's my address. You ever want to stop by, you know, all right? But it's convicted because that's never happened to me. There are probably very few of us in this room where your employer has to give your spouse your check for fear you'll give it away. When is the last time we went without cable or we sold something so that we could be a blessing and do ministry to somebody in need? No sacrifice. No fellowship. Listen to how Hebrews describes it with another group of early Christians. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes, well, there's that word again. Being partners... With those so treated, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, you kidding me, accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one, you joyfully sacrificed to be able to connect with those who were suffering. Why? You knew you had a better possession that could never be taken away. Sacrifice. Their time, their resources, and lastly, responsibility. Here's what I mean, verse 44. Look closely, okay? This is the audience participation part of the sermon. And all who believed were together. How many? I didn't hear you. How many? Oh. You mean it wasn't 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? You, you, you mean the ministry wasn't, well, that's for the seminary trained. That's for the old people to do. That's for the young people to do. 3,000 people who believed in Jesus, devoted themselves to the Word of God and the fellowship. I can't even imagine what that looks like. I don't, we wouldn't even be ready for it. If 2,300 people all of a sudden said, 
we're all in, we're doing this thing 100%. It might just turn the South Metro upside down. You know why? Because read the rest of the book of Acts. Do you know what they say about this group of early Christians? That exact same thing. They are turning this world upside down. No sacrifice, no fellowship. Now, you could say at this point, Luke says they had everything in common, so that's easy for them. I mean, they probably went to the same high school. You know, they had the same economic status, same skin color, spoke the same language. I mean, after all, they have everything in common. That's not what Luke means by they had everything in common. In fact, go back just a few verses, back to verse 9 of the same chapter. Who are these people? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia. You've got people from Pamphylia and Egypt and Libya, visitors from Rome. Verse 11, there's Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. These people don't have anything in common. They're from all over of all different types of languages and backgrounds and people groups. And yet that's the exact same representation a few verses later who have everything in common. Why? They have a common faith in Jesus Christ and that's enough. It's enough to look out of this world because it is. These people don't have anything in common except Jesus. But because they have Jesus in common, they will enter into a sacrificial partnership for something bigger than themselves. And they will do so, this is crazy, willingly. In fact, verse 47 says they're praising God. Do you hear that? They're like praising God to do all this stuff together, gather for worship and grow in the Word and give sacrificially. They're praising God. In other words, this, this isn't socialism, as some people have tried to argue from this text. This isn't um, welfare. It's not the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of a hippie movement. There are no guilt sermons or emotional manipulation or government legislation. What you have taking place here, hold on, it's awesome. Hearts cut by the gospel whereby lives are continually laid on the altar of God saying, here am I. That's what you have. Nobody's forcing them to do anything. That's why you've heard me preach over and over and over against the idea of being motivated by guilt. Never, ever be motivated to do this by guilt. Be motivated to do this by grace and the gospel and God. Like, have your heart so overwhelmed by Him that what you call abnormal becomes normal. It's like I don't wake up every morning and say, I think I'll be a dad today. You know, silly brats got to go provide for them. And gee whiz, life would just be a lot better. No, parents are you. I love sacrificing for my kids. 
I love it. I have more fun at Christmas than they have at Christmas because I love buying for them. I love giving stuff to them. It's family. When we call one another, I'm going to get to preaching here. When we call one another brothers and sisters in Christ, that had better be more than Christian lingo. It better be more than what you say when you forget somebody's name. Hey, brother, you know, or whatever. When we say brothers and sisters in Christ, what we're saying is we have a common blood. The blood of Calvary. And it means we will joyfully sacrifice for one another and with one another for the sake of the ministry of God. That's the fellowship. And why would this be normal? I'm just curious. Why would this be normal? I'm not meaning like normal in the eyes of the world. I mean normal in the kingdom of God. Why, why would this not be just like super Christian, but Christian? Here it is. What was the message that cut these Christians to the heart? Verse 23 of chapter 2. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. Right here. Do you know, want to know, do you want to know why? Sacrifice is normal if you're a Christ follower? Because you're following a sacrificial Savior. If the head was sacrificial, the body is. It really is that simple. It's freeingly and amazingly that simple. These Christians believed in the Son of God that sacrificed Himself that they might be right with God. Therefore, they assumed it's normal. And it's exactly why Paul, in Romans 12, verse 1, a familiar verse, says this, I appeal to you, therefore, remember that word, Brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is he saying there? Therefore, in light of everything I've just explained to you, sin, chapters 1 through 3, justification by faith, that is being right with God because you believe, chapter 4, 5 and 6, that we're free in Christ, that, that we're no longer slaves to sin, Chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit of God is alive in you. In light of all that, present your lives as a sacrifice. Makes sense, doesn't it? In other words, when the gospel is front and center in your heart and mind, sacrifice is not only natural, it's joyful. 
John probably summarizes it the best in 1 John 3, 16. It doesn't get any clearer than this, folks. By this we know love. What's the this? That He laid down His life for us. Anybody want to praise God that He did that? That's awesome. And we ought... Sorry, I interrupted you there. And we... We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Do you see the link? He laid down his life for us, so we lay down our lives for brothers and sisters in Christ. When you enter into the family of God, there's a whole different way of viewing life. It's a faith family. Where the gospel is present, self is sacrificed. You may have heard the name Bob Pierce, and we'll close. Bob Pierce was founder of World Vision. Many of you have heard of World Vision. He died of advanced leukemia. Before he died, he was visiting a friend in Indonesia. They were walking around the village, and they came across this little girl who was laying on a bamboo mat by the river. She was dying of cancer. Bob said, why in the world is she not in a clinic? His friend said, she has requested to spend her last days here by the river because it is familiar and it's cool. Bob felt compassion in his heart. He got down on his knee. He grabbed the girl's hand and he prayed for her. She didn't understand a word he said. When he finished praying, he stood back up and she mumbled something. What did she say? His friend said, she said, if only I could sleep. If only I could sleep. The cancer was causing so much pain, she was restless. Bob reached into his pocket and he pulled out the sleeping pills his doctor had given him for his leukemia. Handed them to his friend and said, you make sure that young lady gets rest. And for the next 10 nights, Bob experienced the most excruciating pain he'd ever known. Why? He was willing to sacrifice himself for someone else. You can have all the coffee you want. That's fellowship. We exist to see our lives and our community and our world transformed by the power of the gospel. How? Through gathering for worship and growing in the word and giving to the work of the ministry. Because when the gospel cuts, it costs and after all, friends, look here. Are we not all here because of a willing act of sacrifice? Amen. It is our Savior who gave Himself for our needs, our greatest need. 
It is our Savior who gave himself for the mission of God, which is our salvation. It is our Savior who gave everything he had, was crucified on a cross without even a shirt on his back. Let's pray. Every head is bowed and every eye closed. The problem with living sacrifices is they tend to slip off the altar. Have you? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed yourself by faith on the altar of God. What we mean by that is that you, hands up saying, here am I, God, I believe. I trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I believe that it is my sin that separated me from Him. But this morning, I received Jesus Christ. There are some of you who need to sacrifice and surrender right now to a relationship with Jesus. Would you do that? Others of you, you are a Christ follower. But it's not clear in the way we sacrifice for other people. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and convict, to conform you into the image of our sacrificial Savior in whatever area He brings to mind, because I can't tell you what that is. So God, that's my prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Do that work. Help us find joy in the brokenness. Teach us to fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.